baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. The Chris and Amy Show, sponsored by Summer at SLU. Find your kids' best summer yet at St. Louis University. Time to rewind. It's the Chris and Amy Rewind Recap. Brilliant. That's what this show is. And it's on the Odyssey app live and the podcasts. When the show is over, they are there for you. This show is on demand, really. Mm-hmm. A-U-D-A-C-Y. Download the app and listen anytime, where you can also listen to Cardinals games, Cardinals baseball with the season upcoming. Catch it all on the Odyssey app for free. After South Carolina, that calculation may no longer work. If she stays in it and continues to nag Trump and irritate him, as she most clearly did in her remarks Tuesday night in New Hampshire... That estrangement may deepen. But I think for the next four weeks, they're going to play it out. And Haley will try to make her pitch for herself, number one. And number two, look, I have a constituency, and you may need this constituency more than you're willing to admit. Chief Washington correspondent for CBS News and his regular Thursday hit with us talking about the candidacy of Nikki Haley, and she has not given up. She does not plan to give up. I... I would really like to know how long she drags this out because unless there is some miracle of some kind, and I don't know what that could even possibly be, yeah. for her, I, there's just no way. There's no way she can overtake the guy who is beating her by a lot. Yeah, I, I New Hampshire was one of her greatest hopes, if not her greatest hope, because it is such a moderate state. She spent a ton of money in New Hampshire. The most money uh, that she spent anywhere else has been in more money than she spent anywhere else, I should say. Uh, she spent in New Hampshire over $31 million. She spent time there. Uh, and it it wasn't it could have been a worse defeat than 11 percentage points. It wasn't, but 11 percentage points also isn't great. And now she is looking at a most likely a loss in her own state of South Carolina, which has implications beyond just you losing another state. It's never good to lose your own state. Uh, Trump mentioned Utah, uh, or Nevada, I should say, in a previous speech. And I, I got a little confused about Nevada. So basically, Nevada's holding both a Republican primary and a Republican caucus. So Haley's registered for the primary, but Trump isn't. Trump is registered for the caucus, and Haley isn't. So it's kind of a mess, and it doesn't matter. And that's why everybody's turning their eyes towards South Carolina. Haley staying in gives us hope. It gives Republicans hope. And some have said, well, non-Trumpy Republicans deserve a, a vote as well. That's what Haley represents, but it's a long shot. It was, and it still is. It still is, and I know there are people, and there was a column written today saying that uh, Nikki Haley needs to go full Liz Cheney if she's going to have any opportunity to win, and I would argue that it just, it's it's insurmountable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's too late for that if that was even going to work in the first place. That just, she she has been more direct 
at criticizing him, being critical of him, and directly calling him out instead of just kind of, you know, tap dancing around it a little bit and trying to soften the criticism so as to not upset people who want to vote for him already. Look, you're not going to win that way. You'll never win that. If there was ever an opportunity to win and beat him, you can't do that. Yeah, and I'm. she does seem to be on an island other than Chris Christie, who has been on the island. Maybe he built the island that she's on. I mean, really on an island because you have all of these other Republican leaders, politicians, senators, uh, governors who have been mocked and humiliated by Trump. Just, I mean, Ted Cruz. I mean, this goes back to 2016 when Trump said Ted Cruz's wife is ugly and then implied that Ted Cruz's dad was somehow involved in JFK's assassination. And Ted Cruz comes groveling back. He humiliated Tim Scott. Tim Scott's supporting him. Lindsey Graham said that if we nominated Trump, we would get destroyed and we will deserve it. He now backs Trump. There's something very... Repulsive, something that I recoil from in the way that the Republican Party is just groveling and self-flagellation in order to be under uh, Trump's good graces, which, as DeSantis said, is kissing the ring. And now Graham, uh, I mean, he has been ring kissing for a long time and on Hannity last night said that uh, Trump is the toughest guy he's ever seen in Washington, which I, I know he does not believe that. I know he doesn't. No, J.D. Vance, right? A, oh, called, a him, Trump, uh, America's called him America's Hitler. Hitler. Yes. J.D. Vance, who is now a Trump sycophant, called him America's Hitler. It's the weirdest thing. And I and I do think there is something in just human nature that recoils from this groveling and putting up with being humiliated and saying, I'm going to put my senatorial career above defending my family. Look, I want to make this perfectly clear. I do believe that in primaries, the whole process, uh, people who are working in the same party um, with one another also have to campaign against each other if they're trying to, to win the nomination, right? So you're going to be critical. Sometimes you'll cross the line a little bit. What I don't understand, though, is is all of this stuff that we're talking about, where you can have somebody who is not just criticizing you, but being deeply personal, yeah, taking really low blows going after you as a person. I mean, he called Nikki Haley on New Hampshire night or said that uh, she's wearing a nice dress. Well, probably not that nice. Probably didn't cost that much. Like, yeah. what What are you talking well, about? Well, there were the birther accusations. There's the birther accusations he did with her. And Haley has it's said... It's just, I don't... I Look, man, I, I would fully understand it if he's being harsh or critical to his opponents because they're opponents. He's trying to beat them. But there is a line that he mm-hmm. repeatedly steps over. It's not just... A gaffe here or there. It's just, it's a repeated thing that he does, and it's just part of his personality. I I don't identify with that. I don't understand it. And I don't understand how when somebody does that to you, you can then get yeah. behind them. It's one thing to criticize policy or record, voting record, or, you know, what you've accomplished as a senator or a governor, and for Trump to say, hey, this person didn't do very much as governor. That's one thing, and that's yeah. all fair game. But the moment you get personal, I don't know how, if you're on the other end of that, you come back and say, yeah, you're my guy still. I I don't know. I don't get it. You take it out of the political realm. It's like an abusive relationship. He delights in humiliating 
humiliating yeah. others within his party so that they stay in line. That's grotesque. Yeah, I don't uh, I don't quite get it. I don't know, but that's okay. Hey, Chiefs football is happening this mm-hmm. weekend. Are you excited? I know Mitch Holt this is, who is the broadcast voice of the Chiefs, and he will be calling the game right here on KMOX on Sunday. He loves the football. He loves everything that's happened this year. And he really loves Taylor Swift. The Swifties honestly have this power of, I don't know, like like the Roman Empire. Like when they get involved, man, they're they're behind you all the way. I'm just hoping they never break up because we'll get a song and a whole album about it. Uh, but it's been kind of fun. I mean, our game last week had 50 million viewers. 50 million. We're the, we're the top-rated radio broadcast right now in the National Football League with the largest network. And in, in, in we're the 27th market. And the reason is all of these humans now are interested in this team. Uh, and a lot of it is the Swifties coming in. I mean, they've learned a lot about football. I've learned a lot about the power of Swiftiness. Well, they are powerful. And I, and I love that they are powerful. It is a great thing for football. Uh-huh. It's great for the NFL. Let's go, Taylor Swift. Well... And like I said, we're, well, we're going to have a Twitter poll at Chris Amy KMOX on Twitter. You can also follow me at Amy Mark Scores. Follow Ronj at Chris Ronji. So do you like following the team that's the underdog, cheering for them when they win? Or do you like being a fan of the dominant team? Like you, you earned it. You hung with them through the stinky years and yeah. now you're there because we were just talking about honor. yeah we were just talking about the Kansas City Chiefs and how Mason Jar was saying he'd always been kind of uh against uh, had an aversion to the cool kids team right the team that everybody's sure. talking about but now that's the Chiefs mm-hmm. and it is for good reason they're a good team they're winning they have Patrick Mahomes they have a likable coach and Andy Reid and of course they have Taylor Swift plus the Kelsey brothers everybody's talking about the Chiefs they're everywhere does it take kind of some of the, the luster off, or is it, no, we we earned this, we deserve this? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I think it is fun to be a, a fan of a dynasty. It is. But there's something about rooting for a team that nobody expected to be there or didn't give them much of a chance, and they, they actually accomplish it. That's, I don't know. It, it's less disappointing if they don't, and it's also more rewarding if they do. I don't know. Do That's my have, feeling. Do the Chiefs have to win this year, or if they don't win this year, win next year in order to be a dynasty to you? Or are they already? Oh, I think they, you think they already are? are. They've already won a couple. And, I mean, they're going to Super Bowls every year, Yeah, almost, it seems like. Anyway, um, Amy Marks Cores, Chris Ranji, uh, 314-436-7900. If you want to visit with us, we still have Doobie Brothers tickets that we're going to give away. Not yet. We will let you know when it is your time to try and win those tickets. That is coming up before we are finished here at 1 o'clock. Doobie Brothers at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater in August. But we have free tickets to give away today. And tomorrow, you need to be listening for your chance to win. It's the Chris and Amy Show on KMOX. It's Chris and Amy Show on KMOX. Uh, We will talk to Dave Simons after the 1230 news from um, UBS Financial Services because the stock market has hit a new high. GDP uh, looks better than projected, so the economy from some measures anyway, appears to be doing pretty well. So we will talk to Dave Simons, get his thoughts again after the 
1230 News. Um, oh, we had a caller. He dropped away. But mm-hmm. we're not going to talk about that, I guess. So there's an execution, yeah. uh, Amy, that is scheduled to take place today in Alabama. Yeah. And this was the person that you, I don't know if we talked about it on the air. We certainly talked about it in the office. We didn't. I've been, to, I've been following this story for a couple of months now. Um, so a man was convicted of murder in 1988. He served 35 years and he is on schedule. He was scheduled to be executed. Here's the thing. I, I do want to note this. Jurors voted, this is in Alabama, 11 to 1 to sentence him to life in prison with no opportunity for parole. But the judge overruled the jury and ordered that he be executed. Um, Now that practice of judges overruling juries in capital cases it's not allowed anywhere in the United States. So this, you're not even allowed to do that anymore. So it's, this, it's ridiculous it's he did odd. it because what, what's the point of a jury? The whole point of a jury is to be fair, to uh, try to get what uh, your peers and have them decide your mm-hmm. fate. How you overrule them? That makes no sense to me how that's even allowed legally. And now I guess it's not, but yep. this poor guy, So this guy, I don't want to call him a poor guy because he committed a heinous crime, right. but still. So he was scheduled to be executed. Um, he initially survived a botched execution. I'm, I'm trying to find the date of that. I, I forgot to write down the date of the first um, execution. I think it was 2018. But basically... They were trying to inject him, right? With the lethal the, injection. With the lethal injection, and they couldn't find the right veins for a couple of hours. Hours, yeah, hours. And this is I'm gonna I'm going to read this. This is what he said. Uh, Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. He still, he said, I was, quote, I was strapped down. I couldn't catch my breath. I was shaking like a leaf. I was absolutely alone in a room full of people, and not one of them tried to help me at all, and I was crying out for help. It was a month or so before I really started to come back to myself. That was the first botched execution. So then, because they weren't able to get the lethal injection into his vein, uh, they're going to do it again with nitrogen gas. Um which, Which has never been done in this country. Has never been done in this country. It used to be used to put down like dogs and cats. But then the American Veterinarians Association said, yeah, this is too cruel. Only chickens and turkeys can be put down this way. It's okay. All right. I do not feel sorry for this person in in the uh, that he's going to lose his life. I don't feel bad for him in that regard. He killed somebody. He stabbed a woman multiple times for money. Um, so I have no sympathy there. And my contention, we've talked about this a few times already. My contention with the death penalty is primarily getting it wrong. And a lot of times the evidence is overwhelming in Mm -hmm. a case like this. And there are people who believe when the evidence is overwhelming, they should pay that price. Okay, fine. I'm not going to lose sleep over it if they do. But for every 99 times they get it right, there's one time they get it wrong, and that one time is too much. 
Because imagine if that's you. Imagine if you're that person who did nothing wrong and you know you did nothing wrong, but the state says you have to die. Mm-hmm. That's I can't imagine many things worse than that. And, and, and my, my second contention, Amy, mm-hmm. is that I don't believe it should be the state's place to exact that punishment any longer. We have other alternatives of punishment, mainly prison. Prison is not good. Prison is not a resort. It's not a fun place to be. It is punishment. And it is severe punishment if you never get to leave there. So, as I always say, it's not the decision between put to death or gets to roam free. There's a middle. And the middle ground is prison. So, since 2018... Alabama, the state of Alabama, has botched four of the nation's nine known botched executions since 2018. So nine botched executions since 2018. Um, and as you mentioned, the the potential of an innocent person being put to death is your biggest reason why you are against capital punishment. Another one would be cruel and unusual punishment yeah. um, because... Uh, and this is a story that the New York Times pointed out, executions aren't conducted in a hospital. They're conducted, quote, in a pressure cooker of last-minute, exhausted, careless judgments in a prison chamber. The typical executioner is not a medical doctor, but someone who is moonlighting. Then there's colossal psychological and emotional pressures on the prison staff during executions. Most of them take place during the middle of the night, so you're tired. So imagine then fumbling around to put a needle in somebody. Right. Now, a lawyer was writing about his his client who had compromised veins because he had cancer. So they were sticking him in his groin, ankles, and shin bone before they released him from the gurney. Um, they had... Uh, they failed to reach the vein, but they hit his bladder, so he was bleeding oh, out. Yeah, and he so died I- in prison of cancer... None of that seems right. And like you said, I don't feel sorry for criminals who do horrible things, deserve to spend the rest of their lives in jail. But I do think we have an ethical responsibility not That's to do it. that. I, I agree with you. I think it's I, I, I know that, you know, I've had, we've had the conversation before and, and you've probably altered how you see it a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think it's the state's place to deal in revenge because at some level. These punishments are not punishments. It's just revenge. It's people want blood. This person committed a crime. They've, well, I want to see them suffer. That's revenge. That's not punishment. You can still punish the person appropriately without doing all this. Now, for this particular case, mm-hmm. um, this man who's going to be put to death today, uh, they have to put a mask over his mm-hmm. face, and it's a five-point mask, yeah. so it's flush up against his face, He's afraid, it's kind of gross, he's afraid he's going to get sick in yeah. it and choke to death well, in no, front of his wife. And not only that, if oxygen seeps in, he will be gasping for air and he'll suffocate slowly. Yeah. He won't be unconscious or he could just have brain damage. Also, his attorney talked to the people conducting it and they're like, we have no idea what's going to happen. They don't know how it works. It's, it's, it's never been done. I, I can't believe they're going to do it, but they are. Dave Simons, we're going to talk money next on KMOX. Amy, Mark's Coors is rich. Am I? I don't know. My I do know this. In, rich in spirit love. and love. Love from your co-host. Well. This room is full of love for you. Is it? It is the Chris and Amy show uh, until 1 o'clock. And before we go any further, 
before we get to our guest, <laughs> here's what we have to do. Oh, my gosh. I know what you're going to say. We are looking for winners to go see the Doobie Brothers live at Hollywood Casino Amphitheater in August. Mm-hmm. A pair of tickets we have to give away. Doobie Brothers featuring Michael McDonald. And if you want these tickets, all you have to do is be caller number... 15. 15. In honor of... Patrick Mahomes? That's right. I see. Caller number 15 to 314-955-1120. 314-955-1120. Best of luck to y'all. Now it's time to go to the Quiver River Elect. Oh, we have tickets too tomorrow. We'll give away more tickets yeah. tomorrow. Oh, and obviously. your last chance to win tomorrow. So if you don't win today, you have to listen tomorrow because you will have a chance tomorrow. To the Quiver River Electric guest line we go, and we bring in financial experts, Senior Vice President of Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services, Dave Simons. You hear him on KMOX all the time, and Dave is with us. How's it going, Dave? It's going well, Chris. Good to talk to you and Amy. Thank you. So with the latest reports, we've got the GDP numbers. Uh, the stock market is on the rise. You must be rolling in it like Amy. <laughs> <laughs> well, not quite full of the love and richness that she is experiencing. But yeah, probably pretty close. It's been pretty good, yes. So let's talk about these numbers. What exactly do they mean? So the expectation for that report that you referenced, Chris, this morning was for the for the economy, as measured by the GDP, was going to come in at, okay, 2% growth over a year ago. Pretty good. Well, the number came in at a very hot 3.3%, and that has all kinds of, of ramifications, and they're almost all good, of course. But a lot of people say, uh-oh, is that too much of a good thing? Does that mean inflation is going to start coming back? And does that mean the Fed is not going to start cutting rates like we thought and like we we had hoped? Um, I don't really share that that worry. I think this is a great number. And and I'll tell you, economists are going to have to write books someday to look back on this post-pandemic economy and try to make sense of it, because it's amazing to me that consumers are still spending as much as they are. The $1,000 Taylor Swift tickets and sporting events are full, and I fly quite a bit. In fact, I just flew yesterday, and it's you know, airports are jammed and planes are jammed and people are going on vacation. And yet inflation has actually come down a little bit. So the Fed it has somehow engineered this perfect Goldilocks scenario. That doesn't mean it's going to turn out that way. We could still have some issues, but as we speak, Right now, today, that was a very good number in light of inflation that has been fairly steady here lately. Well, I think my entire lifetime, there there have, and before I existed, there have been haves and have-nots, people who have money, disposable income to spend. That gap is widened quite a bit, and this is over the last decades. It's not the last two years. It's been a long time this has been going on. The middle class has shrunk. But I wonder if what's happening, and maybe you can... Uh, shed some insight on this is what's happening that the people who have the money and a lot of it are just spending a lot. And those who are struggling are, are not. And the people with the cash are the ones who are making up for what is not being spent on the lower end or is everybody spending? No, Chris, I think you're onto something there. What, what we saw in the early days after all the stimulus checks went out. All right. The baby boomers who are older, and I'm a younger member of that baby boom generation, that that generation really wasn't spending their checks. They were sitting at home, either retired or not working, 
And they were still getting checks. Maybe they weren't entitled to them, but the government was sending checks to most everybody if they qualified. So not only were they not spending that, but they were also not going out to restaurants because they couldn't. They couldn't take their cruises, of course, and their cash levels at their bank soared. I've seen this with my own clients. Meanwhile, the younger generation that were getting these checks were going out and they were spending it. And a lot of it was into the stock market and these so-called meme stocks and playing GameStop and buying into Bitcoin. Well, that's done. That's over. Now, guess who's out there living large? The aforementioned older, I don't know about older, but, you know, 50 and older are out there taking their vacations, going to restaurants, flying on airplanes. So I, I think you're onto something, Chris, there. I, I think there is a growing divide between the haves and have nots. And that gets back to inflation. Um, many people got raises, but not quite to the level of inflation. And that's on the lower income side. Some of your minimum wage jobs didn't keep pace with this 40 year inflation rate that we had, and they have fallen a little further behind. And a lot of times these are people who don't have 401ks or very small ones. So they're not exactly celebrating when they see the headlines that the markets are going uh, higher. It seems confusing that the economy is doing well. I'm looking at a Wall Street Journal story that says, what recession? Growth ended up accelerating in 2023. So this recession we expected never happened. At the same time, Uh, The housing market seems confusing. Eggs are still expensive, but people are spending. Is it confusing because COVID and the years post-COVID fundamentally changed the economic landscape and it will never quite look the same? That's exactly right, Amy. And that's why I, I made reference to someday the historians will have to try to, with better clarity, look back and make sense of it because we're living in it real time. And it, it is confusing, even for people who do this for a living. Um, I'm a big historian, and I'll go back and look at past times, and I, and I look at it and go, wait a minute, we don't have a past time like this. Mm-hmm. So it's very, very difficult to, to really handicap this and, and quantify it all. But, yeah, the, the people are still spending money. And um, inflation, we talk a big game. We all complain, and I think justifiably so, when we go to the grocery store and, and see prices that are about 25 to 30 percent higher than they were at the end of, of 19, right before COVID. But we're still spending money on obviously the necessities, but even spending money on discretionary items as well. Uh, and it's, it's just excess savings. Now, the, the right question after that is, okay, when does that come to an end? Or when does that start to slow down? I don't have an answer for you because it's not now, and I don't see when that will start to slow down. So that leads me to this, because when people talk about the economy, um, the high prices for things and services and whatever, that seems to be the thing they point to, like you just said. So the question is, what causes that? You know, we've everybody's been blaming inflation for the last year and a half or two years, but there's this term called greedflation, which is is newer to me, but it makes a lot of sense. Companies use a pandemic or they use current uh, uh, inflation or whatever to disguise them wanting to raise prices just to see how much they can push it because people are paying for it, right? So how much how much of the high prices are companies just taking advantage of the situation and blaming it on something else? Yeah, Chris, I I read that. I think it's overstated because if you go back in the early days when companies, they they actually were reluctant 
honestly, to raise their races, uh, raise their prices considerably to keep up with inflation. They didn't want to do it because everyone, if you remember when this was first happening, we all thought that this was transitory, right? This was the word and supply chains were going to open right back up. And then companies would have been justified for not immediately raising their prices. Well, eventually they had to. And profit margins really were squeezed a little bit. Now, the issue is, well, okay, why can't they bring them back down? That's not how the economic system works, because you've given your workers raises. You've uh, necessarily maybe opened up some new manufacturing lines to keep up with the increased demand that's come out of, uh, of COVID uh, and the pandemic. So I think the government looks at that pretty well. They don't see any real sense of gouging. And, and, and let me say this, too. I think this is an important point because it, it's got a political ramification to it. I think the Biden administration has their hands full trying to explain to people, hey, the economy, look at this, 3.3% growth. Look at your 401k. This is great. But it's weird because polls show that people aren't that happy economically, and, and they don't seem to understand why. To me, it's obvious. It's that inflation is sticky, so you can say that inflation is only 3% right now, which it is, but that's on top of 20% cumulative inflation the last few years. So I just happened to be walking down a grocery store aisle the other day, and there's an elderly gentleman, and he was mumbling to himself out loud, and I felt for him. He was really upset at the cereal prices in front of him. I'm guessing he's on a fixed income, and he just shook his head, and he just was going, I can't believe these prices. And I want to say to politicians, this is why strong economic numbers don't mean a hill of beans to a lot of Americans, because those prices are not coming down, and they won't. So then where is the politician's responsibility, and how do they fix that? Well, you, you don't. Uh, if, if we're going to live in a country that is a free market capitalistic country, which it is, you have to let it, you have to let it breathe. Obviously there are laws, there are rules, there are regulations. You have to monitor it. Uh, I don't see that there's anything illegal. I don't see that there's any price gouging. You could write a book, an economic book that would bore people to tears on why this is happening here. But this is what the bouts of inflation, if you go back to the, the 1970s, when we had record inflation back then, it's not like prices came back down except for gas. And it's just like that now. That's one item that can be deflationary because that's based on geopolitical issues. So gas can go way up high, multi-year highs, and then things happen. Oh, hey, great. It's, we're, we're paying back down at 280 again. Food prices don't do that. Car prices don't do that. Home prices rarely do it. This inflation stays with it. And that's why, especially the Biden administration, in a political year, I think they need to just come out and own that. And then they can get to the positive stuff. But to try to ignore it and tell people, I don't know why you're complaining. The economy is great. I don't know. I'm paying 30 percent more at the grocery store. Go ahead and address it. Be honest with it. And I think people will appreciate that more. I know people are also, as you mentioned, consumers are still spending. Um, credit card companies are doing great, but delinquency rates are rising and the personal saving rate is falling. And I just know this is human nature. Somehow, when I made less money than I do now, uh, when I was barely piecing it together, I somehow lived and I managed. I started to make a little bit more. And I started to spend more. And here's the thing. Now I feel like, okay, this is my bare minimum. 
Because once you start spending more, once you start buying more, you don't want to go back to being more frugal. Is there an element of that, that while the prices are still high, maybe people had a bit of a boon during the COVID years with the checks, and now we don't want to go back to having to watch it even more? Bingo, 100%, Amy, because this is something I'm tracking, because this is a little bit concerning at this point when, as you rightly mentioned, we've seen credit card debt really go up. And I, and I try to dig, to dig through that. Okay, why? What's happening? It's okay if it's because people are just putting it on and then they pay it off every month. That's not a big deal. We are becoming less and less of a cash society. So if people are just putting more money on their credit cards, I'm okay with that. So what I look for is the delinquency rate, payments that are more than 90 days late, and we are seeing that go up. And so as I look at that, and this is just anecdotal evidence, I don't have any real data for it, but I think, Amy, to your point, I think this is people living a certain lifestyle during the pandemic and having more money and getting involved in the stock market. And once we were opened up, man, we went crazy and we went out and we spent money. It's hard for human beings to pull back and say, I got to go back to where we were. They're going to eventually have to do that. But there's an old economic saying that says stability leads to instability. Hmm. It sounds very simple, but it's right on. Well, right now we have some stability. So I'm not being bearish. I'm not trying to be provocative in any way. But um, things are really, really good right now. But I see some things like the delinquency rate on the credit cards and other things that do worry me slightly, and it's what we're going to continue to monitor. Just for a before we say goodbye here, just for a, a, a general, um, I have a general question about economy and and politics. The president, whoever's in charge, um, people tend to put the economy all on whoever's in charge. You hear, well, the economy was great under Trump, and now it's not great. Um, which a lot of that is narrative, I think, but. How much responsibility does a president have over how much things cost and what the economy is actually doing year to year? Well, not a lot, actually, to be honest with you, Chris. That comes more from uh, the Fed. They have a dual mandate there. Uh, the Treasury, even your folks in Congress, the president is like can, can be like the, 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 the head coach off to the side, but you're hiring the offensive coach and the defensive coach and others to actually get out on the gridiron and, and, and move pieces around. And to your point, presidents get way too much credit when the economy is doing well and way too much blame when things go down. Now, sometimes it's justified. They can get in there and they can try to push legislation that either helps or hurts. But for the most part, using a sports analogy here, you want to be like Joe Torrey when he managed the New York Yankees. You have these <laughs> Hall of Famers there. You just want to get out of the way and you want to just let them play ball. And typically a good president will monitor the situation. But for the most part, this, I'll tell you, this American economic engine that we've had for over a century, really 200 years, but modern technology and modern economy is an amazing, efficient machine. And we continue to bring in foreign money it, through thick and thin. And the best thing that politicians can do is, yes, manage it from the sidelines. But for the most part, as long as it's following all rules and regulations, let it go. And it will continue to bring more wealth into this country. And that's why so many foreigners not only want to come and live here, but even from the outside, bring money here. And we're seeing that today.
Dave Simons, thank you. We'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Amy. Dave Simons, uh, Senior Vice President of Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services, host of At Your Service. You can hear him uh, 8 to 10 o'clock at night here on KMOX. It's Chris and Amy. Oh, congratulations to Tony from, take a guess, Amy. Tony Tony from from South County. From St. Louis, who won the tickets to see the Doobie Brothers. We'll give away our final pair of tickets tomorrow. you got to be listening to Chris and Amy from 10 to 1 on KMOX. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.